Hello and welcome to our latest Beyond Brexit podcast. I'm Emily Khan. I'm afraid I'm out of the country on a festive adventure this time. So I've asked Anna Wallace, our Head of Political Relations, and Michael Moore, Senior Political Advisor, to let you listen in on one of their daily discussions on the latest political developments on Brexit. Let's see what they're chatting about today. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm well. Uh, yet another extraordinary week in Brexit. We, um, we think that they keep getting more and more extraordinary, and yet the bar keeps being raised. T tell me about what you think about what happened last week. It was. I mean, the, the extraordinary is a word that is almost by its nature overused, and yet these were definitely out-of-the-ordinary moments. What other week have we seen in recent political history where the biggest vote of the Parliament was pulled at short notice? The Prime Minister of the day is challenged in terms of the leadership of her party and therefore of the country, and then, having survived that, goes to a summit of all the EU leaders to get a variation on a deal and comes back, not if not empty-handed, close to it. I mean, it was an amazing amount to pack into a week. And strangely, we kind of ended up on Friday night where we'd been on Monday morning. Back where we were, exactly. And that's one thing, I was talking to clients last week, you know, there was this sense that all of a sudden lots of scenarios had moved back on the table and, and that creates, I think, a business even more paralysis. But actually, as you said, I think from Monday to Friday, the advice we're giving to clients hasn't yet changed, has it? No, I mean, we have very consistently said to people, really from the outset, you need to take no deal seriously. When the politics is as messy as this, then it's particularly relevant. No Deal is a very serious and abrupt change to the way we trade with the rest of Europe. And so we need to get a handle on that and clients need to be focused on it. So that's still very real. The other bit of this is that, frankly, until some other scenario emerges with credibility, with numbers behind it in Parliament and the ability to legislate, you need to look very hard at what the Prime Minister has delivered in terms of this deal. We've not seen the vote, we know it, it probably would lose at the moment, but the deal that she's negotiated is the political reality on the ground. And that it too represents change, not immediately, good news on transition, backstops and so forth from a business perspective, but in time, a different way of trading with Europe and businesses need to be over that so that they keep focus on no deal or a Canada style trade deal and then let's see how things evolve. And that's the challenge I guess here is that um, Parliament clearly isn't happy with either of those scenarios but it's not quite clear what there is a parliamentary majority for. And I just guess just to think about some of the scenarios that um, that I hear from people, I mean, a second referendum is obviously the big one that seems to be gaining some, um, if not anything else, media attraction. But also, you know, does May last the parliament? Could we end up in a Norway type scenario? I don't know if it's worth sort of kicking a few of those around in detail. Well, what do you think about actually the government continuing? I mean, we, we hear rumours and threats of confidence votes to, you know, from the opposition to which would bring down the, the government and yeah. Yeah. force a general election. What's your thinking on that? Well, of course, so there's the first part. She's she's passed the party leadership challenge and she's now protected for another year. But that wouldn't stop Jeremy Corbyn and the opposition parties tabling their own confidence motion in the government if they thought they could get the numbers. And that's, of course, as ever in politics, you have to be able to learn how to count. And that's the big question. There might have been 117 Conservative MPs who voted against May in a party leadership election 
but would they vote for their vote against their own side if if there was a risk of it causing a general election so Definitely, there might be some more challenges. Parliament definitely wants to assert itself in this process. But would that necessarily precipitate a general election, especially with the Fixed-Term Parliament Act? Not totally convinced that it is. And of course, I think the big challenge with a lot of these scenarios is how long we have left in the process to deliver any of them. Yeah, here we are. It's about three months to go yeah. until Brexit happens. And it's worth reminding everybody that... That happens by what our legal friends like to say, the automatic operation of law. That's we have right. triggered the exit from the treaties. We have legislated in the United Kingdom to ensure that they no longer apply and that we live outside the EU from the 29th of March. So until something replaces that, that is the course that we have charted. So we need either this deal or some replacement uh, for it. Interesting to think, uh, that uh, everything depends on Parliament asserting itself and people will often say there's no majority for uh, no deal. No deal, that's right. Um, but actually finding a majority for replacements, I think that's quite challenging. Um, so particularly uh, one of the favourites at the moment is a second referendum. Yeah. I thought it was instructive in the last couple of weeks that there was as much um, debate within the different parties about the whether or not a, a referendum was the appropriate way forward as there was uh, within the media. So getting enough people to support a referendum, work out what the question is, yeah. and then deliver a victory, again, I think for businesses to be hoping that's the outcome, um, well, nothing to, wrong with hope, but it's not really a, a very reliable basis for business decisions, it seems to me. That's right. You strike on another really important point, both with the general election and with the second referendum, is that there might be people who agree that there should be a referendum, but there are obviously those who don't agree with the referendum. But then when you start to say, OK, well, what should the question be? Or when you start getting into specifics, that's where those factions break down, even, even smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's very difficult to see how any one of them can become big enough to assert itself in this process. So if you think about a general election, I think both parties would find it difficult, the Labour and the Conservatives, to go back to their HQs and write a manifesto about what they would do on Brexit before 29th of March. So not impossible, but not only um, very difficult to deliver in the time frame, but also difficult politically to get enough people to agree with any one position. There was a fascinating piece by one of the country's kind of leading opinion pollsters and, and long-term commentator, Peter Kellner, mm. which suggested there were seven different versions of a referendum question, some of them two stages, yep. uh, over two or three weeks. Um, and I thought that just underlines the, the challenges of all this. Of course, you've highlighted the, the, the fact that there's not a lot of time. There is speculation that we could, of course, ask for extra time under the Article 50 arrangements, which are giving us this two-year negotiation, which runs out on the 29th of March. Yes, we could ask, and the, the rules are, are pretty well known, but we have to ask from the UK and the EU have to agree unanimously. Uh, there was the court case recently that uh, established that we could actually also withdraw Article 50. I'm still waiting to see who the leader of a political party is or prime minister that would actually trigger these events. Yeah. I don't think we've got to the points, but certainly 
if a general election was coming or we got credibility around a, a second referendum, you would need Article 50 to be extended. There just isn't the time, is there? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, and some people have suggested that um, a myth that seems to be doing the round is that the court judgment around revoking Article 50 was part of the negotiations itself. Do you just want to debunk that because it was it was someone from, from your neck of the woods that initiated this rather than someone around the EU-UK negotiating table? Yeah, the, the, there was a cross-party and cross-parliamentary group of individuals who took this case to the European Court of Justice just to establish whether it was right to infer from the way it was written that you didn't, act, you could actually withdraw unilaterally um, because all, you can extend, that's clear and there's a process, but yeah. it wasn't so obvious what to do about withdrawing it. That was never put forward by the United Kingdom government. In fact, they were very quick to stand on it and say, we've no desire to withdraw from the process, but we don't need to get into the politics of that. It still would require a massive political judgment call and a moment uh, that was quite unlike any we've seen yet to say, we're turning our backs on Brexit. And without a mandate, either in terms of a general election to reverse Brexit or a referendum to reverse Brexit, I think it's highly unlikely to be They used. all become a bit circular, don't they? But but one of the important things that you said there, which again I think is relevant to a number of them, is the difference between what parliamentarians and, and political campaigners might want versus what the government wants and what they would might choose to do. And ultimately they do hold the sort of levers of control in determining whether or not we would extend, revoke, have another election, et cetera, et cetera. And talk of Parliament getting the opportunity to consider all these different new options or, or refreshed options uh, is obviously gained ground in, in, in recent weeks. And, you know, it's good to have the debate, but there's a big difference between Parliament stopping the executive, That's the government right. doing something and actually taking over and running with the ball. Actually, to your point earlier on about the confidence motion, it, the truth of it is that the spats between different parties about when to trigger a confidence motion in the government reminded us it's not just divisions within parties that count, the divisions between parties are pretty significant as well. And their individual interests, their own concerns about who would form the next government, those play into this every bit as much as Brexit does itself. Now, one thing we've not talked upon but has gained a bit of traction recently is the issue of Norway yep. and Norway Plus. Great jargon for political folk like you and me. What does that mean? That's right. So, so what Norway might mean, or at least what people are suggesting we should do with Norway, is that at the end of the Article 50 process, we should park ourselves in the EEA after type arrangement. So we would be trading on similar rules to Norway. So quite closely aligned with the single market, minimum tra um, uh, friction issues. And this seems to have been gaining ground with people around sort of Michael Gove, with, around the DEFRA secretary, Nick Bowles, a particular advocate for this. However, the challenge is that Norway, as the existing big member, member of the EEA, doesn't like it. Um, in fact, talking to some people around, uh, around uh, the sort of Norwegian uh, politics, they would be more than happy to see the UK potentially in a longer term arrangement, but they certainly don't see themselves as a temporary car park. Similarly, for the EU, there is challenges in that um, 
they don't see it as a long-term solution because actually they don't like the way that the current UK, the, the current arrangements with the Norway work and wouldn't want to put the UK in that position too. Also, we would completely transform the way that the EEA currently works because we're clearly a far bigger economy than any of the other nations in there. So it bubbled up, I think, a couple of weeks ago as, as a seemingly a popular option. I think even now in the last few days, those who are the main proponents have been um, defending it much, much harder than they were having to before. And of course, Norway Plus isn't just about a single market, it's also about adding in the customs union, which Norway is not part of. That's right. I think one of the biggest problems with it politically might just be that it also requires freedom of movement of people. And for those reasons, we've heard the Prime Minister and others very vigorously talk about it in, in negative terms. So, phew, um, mm. a lot going on, a lot resuscitated, debated, um, as we've come to the, you know, the end of the parliamentary session, uh, this uncertainty deepens rather than anything else. It doesn't really change the client advice, That's does it, right. That's right. And as you said at the beginning, you know, the two big change scenarios are that we exit uh, with some type of deal like the one that the Prime Minister currently has agreed between her and the EU member states. Um, so from a business point of view, as you said, not bad. Uh, gives us transitions, gives us all a bit longer to think about things and optimise those plans or no deal, which is again, as you rightly said, happens by default in a mere matter of days. Uh, and that's absolutely where clients should be paying their attention. All of these scenario other scenarios that we've talked about are worth watching. But as we've said, the executive would need to really um, uh, have a hand in implementing those and at the moment the current political leadership doesn't seem to want to give any real consideration to second referendums etc. I suspect that if we do end up in an article 50 extension territory or a second referendum territory it's going to come very very late in this process so I guess the question for businesses between now and then is can you look your people your shareholders your investors in the eye and say that you are doing everything that you can to avoid what is at the moment the default scenario, which is we exit without a deal. So that's nice and simple. Mm -hmm. uh, with three months to go, give or take <clears throat> a few days here or there, um, it's time to act and it's that's time right. to have your plans ready for no Brexit or one based on the current deal and keep watching the politics. Well, I think we should join those discussions more often. If you like this format or have any other questions or feedback, please feel free to tweet your thoughts using the hashtag BeyondBrexit. We'll be back in the new year for more discussions and insights. In the meantime, don't forget you can find everything from us on pwc.co.uk forward slash Brexit and wishing you all a very happy new year.